So there's this song by Michael McLean. It's a church song. It starts with a couple friends who want to enter a singing competition. And what, which part is mine? Okay. So uh, one of the girls only sings alto, and her friend sings soprano. But her friend doesn't hit the soprano notes, and she can't. And so they have this kind of, the chorus comes in and says, which part is mine? Which part is yours? Let's review this one more time, because I'm never quite sure. And then we fast forward, and it's her husband. And they're raising kids. And she says to her husband, which part is mine? And which part is yours? And then it turns to God. And she prays, which part is mine? And which part is yours? When it comes to Revelation, that's the question we're asking. Which part is mine? And which part is his? And sometimes when we make mistakes, when revelation isn't flowing, it's often because I'm not doing my part. You can count on him doing his part. He won't ever fail to do his part. But quite often when revelation isn't happening the way we think, it often boils down to, I'm missing a concept. Which part is mine? So in every one of these rules, we could basically kind of say, what's the misunderstanding here? Which part is mine and which part is his? And how might we misunderstand that? So we're going to start in the Book of Mormon, and then we'll turn to the Doctrine and Covenants. And we're looking for where the Lord is coaching people on revelation. So the Book of Ether is a wonderful place to find some revelation coaching, because the Lord has to get this people from Babel to the Promised Land. Now, this journey is going to go from the Tower of Babel, where he's going to confound the languages. They're going to go from from Babel to the Valley of Nimrod. Now, that was a well-traversed course. I think the brother of Jared had taken that route many times. So this was well known. But then from the Valley of Nimrod, they're going to go to the edge of the sea, the beach. And this time they're going to go through a wilderness where no one had ever been. So a well-traveled road versus a road where no one has ever been on, revelation is going to be different. And then they get to the edge of the sea. They get to the beach, and they're supposed to cross the sea to go to the promised land. And they sit on that beach. Promised land. And so revelation is different all along. If we don't understand that he speaks differently for the circumstance we're in, we're missing something. So uh, journey number one, let's go to Ether chapter one, Book of Mormon, Ether chapter one. Journey number one is to go down a very well-traveled path, one that they know well, and get to the valley of Nimrod. So what does the Lord say? Look at verse 42. He speaks, he gives him all the instructions they need. Go to the valley of Nimrod. I'm sure there was more. Take this, do this, do this. And then in verse 42, see if you can pick up a rule here. What's the rule of revelation in verse 42? Go at the head of them, down into the valley, which is northward, and there will I, in other words, what? 
I've given you all the instructions that you need. I'll give you more when you've done what I asked. One rule of revelation and one reason why sometimes we don't get more is because we haven't followed the instructions we've been given. Sometimes there's a hesitant. Sometimes an impression comes. You've got to talk to so-and-so about this. Oh, I don't want to. I don't want to. And so we don't. Well, tell me what we're saying to him when we don't follow a prompting. When he inspired, he told us to do something specific and we don't do it. What are we saying to him? Don't give me any more. I'm not listening. Don't speak to me. One of the rules of revelation is sometimes he says, go this far and then I'll give you more. And if we never get to the valley, we're never going to get more. We've got to follow the instructions we've received. So rule number one is want more? Obey the instructions you have received. That's wrong, right? I.E. I got to switch that, right? But believe is the opposite, right? If that were believe. Good luck, English. Good luck learning English. It's the dumbest language in the whole world, right? The, prolo the, per the plural of mouse. Mice. The plural of house. Houses. Anyway, no, makes no sense. All right. So rule number one, want more, obey. I just think that's kind of, uh, okay, I've given you the instructions. I, I'm going to guide you to the promised land. And right now the instructions are to go to the valley. And they don't get any more instructions until they get to the valley. And sometimes in our lives, this is a well-trodden path. I can do this. I can do this. I've been given all the instructions I need. I'm going to get more when I follow the instructions I've been given. I think that's a rule where I'm not doing my part. So next leg of the journey, they, they, they made it to the valley and now they get more instructions. And those instructions are to go through a very dangerous wilderness. Let's go to chapter two, ether two. Verse four, five and six. Okay, so they make it to the valley of Nimrod. The Lord comes down and talks to the brother of Jared. Verse five, the Lord commanded them that they should go forth into the wilderness, yea, into that quarter where never had man been. So it's dangerous, right? High danger. So what, do we sh what should we expect? What form of revelation will come when the danger is high? came to pass that the Lord did go before them and did talk to them as he stood in the cloud and gave them directions whether they should travel. And it came to pass that they did travel in the wilderness and did build barges. That's going to be very important in the next leg. While they're in the wilderness, while he's holding their hand, they build barges. In the which they did cross many waters, being directed continually by the hand of the Lord. So rule number two. 
When does he hold very tightly onto my hand? When is God very descriptive and very, when does revelation flow urgently? When danger is high. And that's a rule I need to understand. When danger is high, high danger, how do I say this? Very specific and direct revelation. Let me give you an example. Um, I have a small little granddaughter who loves to go to the park when she comes to our house. And I love to walk her to the park. Now, walking to the park from my house, we cross a busy road. Tell me what I do with that little granddaughter when we cross that busy road. What would you do? Now, she can walk. Now, is it that? Is it that? Is it just a nice little, let me hold your hand, sweetheart. It's, it's right? I hold that hand tight. I either pick her up and don't even give her the chance to walk away, or I hold her hand tightly. Now, tell me what that little girl often does when I'm holding her hand that tightly. Sometimes we do what? Sometimes what do we do when God is very, very in our face and in our business? She wants to pull that hand away. And I won't let her, because why? You don't understand the danger. You don't understand how dangerous this is. And so a red light needs to go on when the promptings are coming very, very sternly. I may not see it, and I'm pulling my hand away because I'm saying, why are you holding so tightly, God? Don't you trust me on this road? It's not you I don't trust. It's them I don't trust. It's the danger I don't trust. And so I need to recognize when he is speaking sternly. Now we're going to come back to both of these in a balance. I just I love this journey because we're going to tackle both of these again. But understand, when you're crossing a busy road, he's not going to let go. So when you're in those moments where revelation is very much, I feel an urgency here. Don't pull your hand away. I was teaching at the University of Utah Institute. I had a wonderful student who was in the musical program and she loved the music and she was doing well. Extremely talented pianist. And they loved her at the U. They gave her all sorts of opportunities. She loved it. And all of a sudden, these very strong, urgent promptings came to transfer schools. And the work involved in transferring schools, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. And I could see she was pulling her hand away. Don't tell me that. And they kept coming and they kept coming and they kept coming and they got louder and more urgent. You have to transfer schools. Until she finally realized the only reason he's talking that way is there's something very dangerous about this situation. Either something I have to do down there or something very wrong here. Maybe we don't like to hear that. But when he's speaking that way, I need to understand danger is high. 
And so rule number two, when they are in a place where never man had been, they were continually directed by the hand of the Lord, whether they wanted to be or not. Now they can always, my granddaughter could, if this were Heavenly Father, yank that hand away and run off on that busy street. He will not deny you your agency. But when he's urgently speaking, you need to understand, danger's high. I got that when I graduated from high school. I was not headed to the school I needed to go to. I was headed in a different direction, and those promptings came, and they were urgent. And things happened in my life that made it very clear where I should be going. And I could have pulled away and said, uh-uh, I want to go there. Luckily, I recognized there's a reason here. And that university changed my entire life. I would not be standing in front of you had I chosen the, the university I was going to go to. My entire career was made available because I chose that school. Rule number two, recognize when it's urgent. Recognize when I'm crossing a street. Now, this actually leads to the next problem. How much of him do we see in this situation? A lot of him, right? He's just like, okay, okay. It's a lot of God and not as much me. And sometimes we get comfortable with that. What's a mission like? This is mission life because it's his work. And I don't know who's ready. I don't know who's prepared. He does. One time I got on a bus and he very specifically told me who on the bus I needed to talk to. It was a crowded bus. So I had to make my way back and talk to that person. He was very specific. That's the man. You have to talk to that man. And at first I didn't. I was riding the bus and it just, okay. But I recognized the promptings were in that urgent mode. The problem with that is it gets comfortable. It gets comfortable to be led by him. And then when I all of a sudden come out of the wilderness, and I'm sitting on this beautiful beach that isn't dangerous. There are no wild animals. And I have everything that I need right there on the beach. What's the mistake we make? Because it's been all him. And now we're on a beach where I don't need it to be all him. What do I have a tendency to do? I sit there and wait for him to do more than he should do because now we're on a beach. How long do the Jaredites sit on that beach? Go down to verse 13. It's four years they sat on, and verse 14, was he happy? Was he pleased with them for sitting on the beach? So there's something they didn't do. And the mistake was they got used to it being mostly him. And this is what almost every returning missionary I've ever talked to goes through. They come home from their mission and the voice goes silent and they make the interpretation. Am I doing something wrong? Am I failing the Lord? Am I losing my spirit? No, you're just on the beach. You're out of the wilderness. But the voice has gone down. And the reason is, can you imagine 
what kind of grandpa I would be. So I'm holding tightly to my granddaughter's arm and we cross the street and then we get into the park and I keep holding on that tightly. What kind of grandpa would I be if I held onto her, her hand while we were in the park that tightly? Not a good grandpa, right? What do grandpas do when we get out of the street and into the park? We let go of their hand. Do I need to tell her which toy to play on? Which apparatus to go to? You choose, Rosie. But what if she got so used to me telling her what to do, she got to the park and I let go and she sat there and went, I, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. Well, there's a teeter-totter and there's a swing and there's a sandbox and look, you got all these, I don't know. So she just stands there, which is what we do. We got so comfortable with him telling me what to do. And then when we're in the park and it's time for me to choose, we don't. And so they sat there. Now, what's the next step? Build a barge, right? Have they ever built barges before? While they were crossing, do they know how to build a barge? Do you suppose they had all the equipment they needed to build the barge? Do you think they had the trees and everything right there on the beach to build barges? They knew how to do it. They had all the resources. So why are they sitting there for four years? Which part is mine? Which part is yours? What mistake have they made? You got used to him telling you everything to do. He's not going to tell you. Can I tell, I'm going to tell Naomi some very depressing news. You will not find your husband the way you found investigators. That's, that's heartbreaking news because I had a daughter who came home from her mission and waited for her husband to come to her. She didn't want to play the dating game. She didn't, she hated that. She just waited for Heavenly Father to tell her who her husband was. Like he told her where to go to find investigators. She hit 25. She hit 25 and no prospects. And finally, one day she realized she made the mistake. She was sitting on the beach waiting for Heavenly Father to do for her what she should be doing for herself. And so finally she said, you know what? I hate online dating, but I'm going to sign up. Clearly I need to be doing something that I'm not doing. So she signed up for online dating and eventually found her husband. And now they're married and have three wonderful children. But do you know how many times, how many, I, we, we, we all wonder how many years she wasted sitting on the beach because she wasn't doing her part. Let me give you an equivalent. Turn with me to the Old Testament, to Joshua chapter three. Coming out of the 40, you remember they wandered for 40 years in the desert. And they're coming out of the desert and they're entering the promised land and they're coming from the east and they're gonna cross the Jordan River. And the Lord has promised to part the Jordan River. And so he has the priests out there with the Ark of the Covenant, they're leading the, the procession. So the Ark of the Covenant is in front. And the Lord says, look, I promise I'll part the river. 
When does he part the river? Look at verse 13. When does he part the river? When they do what? Stepped into the water. They step into the water and then it parts. What would be our tendency? What might be your tendency? You're holding the Ark of the Covenant. You can't get it wet. No way I'm going all the way through that river. He's going to part it. How many of you would stand on the bank of the river and wait for it to part and then move forward? That's not how revelation works. You're waiting for God to do your part. Your part is to move forward. Whether that's sign up for online dating or move into the darkness. Their job was to take a step into the river. Now, I'll be honest. Sometimes how far does Heavenly Father make us go into the river? Sometimes we go all the way up to here. The widow of Zarephath, Old Testament, Elijah was sent. Remember the oil that doesn't run out? The widow of Zarephath. What was she doing when the prophet showed up to Zarephath? Anyone remember? She was gathering sticks to make her last meal. So when does the prophet come to save her? When she's gone how far? I can't go any further. And then the river parts. Remember the night he walked on the water? How long had they rowed? Nine hours. They rowed nine hours and then he walked on. Why didn't he wait another hour? Why didn't, why didn't he come an hour earlier? He knew that they could row longer. Why didn't he come an hour later? They wouldn't have made it. So sometimes he asks us to step into the river and it parts. Sometimes he asks us to go all the way down as far as we can and then the river parts. But which part is mine? Which part is yours? Get off the beach recognize when you're on the beach and he is waiting for you to take the next step. Get off the beach. In other words, find your own spouse. Take a step forward and find as if you have to find your own spouse. And guess what? He'll help you along the way, but don't wait for him to find it. Move forward, build a barge. High school students do that, right? Do you remember how many classes you could choose in middle school? How many classes could you choose in elementary school? None. Did you choose which math you took? No. Did they have different math classes in your elementary schools? Sometimes they have different math classes and they, they just choose for you. Then you get to middle school and guess what? Oh, you get to choose one and a half classes. Everything else they choose for you. You get to high school and you have a little bit more freedom, but still some restrictions. Could I, as a high school student, say, you know what? I don't need a fifth period, so I'm just not going to have one. I'm going to just stay home. <laughs> Could I have no fifth period? And the school says, um, only if you jump through all these hoops. And then all of a sudden, you graduate from high school and tell me what happens. Tell me what happens when you graduate from high school. 
And you're kind of waiting for them to put you in a class, right? Take this class first. Here's the class you should start with. And how much help do you get? Squat. And you're like, I don't know what to take. And you look at this catalog and you're like, are you kidding me? I don't know what class to take. And they're like, what? Good luck. And I have watched college freshmen be so used to being told what to do. My sweet daughter did nothing, did nothing, did nothing, did nothing, did nothing. Here's the start of class. Did nothing, did nothing, did nothing, did nothing, did nothing. Oh my gosh, dad, I got to register. I need you ha- your help. <laughs> so I finally stepped in and said, let me show you how to register for a college class. But every class she wanted to take was full. She was on every waiting list. She ultimately got into two classes, and that was it. And because she's only taking two classes, does she get qualified for FAFSA? So at the end of the semester, the tuition bill shows up that she thought FAFSA would cover. And guess what? And I'm like, what's dad doing this whole time? Um, that's your assignment. You've got to figure that out. And what's she doing? Um, I've always been told what to do. It was a hard lesson for my daughter who wasn't really willing to step up and say, let me take care of me. And she paid a hard price. Second semester rolls around, guess what she does? And I'm like, hey. And Heavenly Father's doing the same thing. You've got to get off the beach. Recognize when the environment has changed, I'm not in a dangerous situation, he's backed off and he's letting me choose for myself. And recognize when you're in. Now that leads us to the next one. Number four is to know the difference. Understand the balance. We're gonna have an experience where we do all three of these in one little experience. When they finally realize they should be building barges, If you go back to Ether 2, they start building a barge. Now, verse 7, they build barges that are tight like a dish. They were built after the manner that were exceedingly tight, even that they, they could hold water like unto a dish. And the bottom thereof was tight like unto a dish. And the sides thereof were tight like unto a dish. And the ends thereof were peaked. And the top thereof was tight like unto a dish. And the length thereof was the length of the tree, and the door thereof, when it was shut, like, was tight like a dish. Now, what's the problem with a boat that's tight like a dish? Verse 19, what's problem number one? No light. And problem number two, verse 20. Sorry, end of verse 19. No air. Okay, so no air, no light. No air, no light. Are those of equal danger? Not even close, right? One of those is life and death. One of those is not. If they do not solve the air problem, they die in those boats. If they don't solve the light problem, it's just an inconvenience. But this one is going to kill them. So tell me what Heavenly Father does with the air problem. There's rule number two, right? In fact, if you look at it, what were his instructions? Verse 20, what were his instructions? 
the Lord said unto the brother of Jared, Behold, thou shalt make a hole in the top and also in the bottom. So drill a hole in the top and the bottom. And when you need air, unstop the hole. Why do I need a hole in the bottom of my boat? Now, you can know. I know that. You know that because we know the story. But while they're building the boats, does it make any sense to him while he needs a hole in the bottom of the boat? There's no, he doesn't say that. He says, oh, by the way, the boat's going to flip over. He simply says what? Drill a hole in the top and the bottom. Again, here's the daughter, here's the granddaughter, whose hand is being held tightly, and she starts, he, she might say what? I don't need a bottom, I don't need a hole in the bottom of my boat. How many of you have been tempted to resist strong impressions because they don't make sense? I don't need a hole in the bottom of my boat. Why in the world would I drill a hole in the bottom of my boat? When I need air, if I unstop that hole, the water comes in. Well, they found out very quickly why they needed a hole in the bottom of the boat when the bottom became the top. That must have been a wild ride with animals and poop. But at least they found a way to not suffocate, right? <laughs> Let's assume that everything was taken care of. If the Lord took care of the air problem, I think he can take care of the flipping over problem. But still, not an easy journey. But isn't that typical of going through mortality? How many times has mortality felt like your boat just got flipped upside down? Okay, so he solved, sorry, not beach. He solved this one. He gave very, very specific instructions. When this one was solved and the brother of Jared climbs back up to talk to the Lord, what do you suspect he thought the Lord would do with the light problem? Well, he, you told me what to do with the air problem. I'm waiting for you to tell me what to do with the light problem. And what does the Lord do? This one is on you. So another way of saying this, I'm going to word this as number four, but it's kind of a repeat. It's just kind of a, do you understand these concepts? But let me rewrite it. Know the difference between light and air. Know the difference between being in a light situation and being in an air situation. Now, going back to the voices we talked about last week, one of the most common ways he leads me is he just lets me go. As long as I'm going in the right direction, he just lets me go and doesn't correct me, right? That's which one? That's a light situation. I'm just going to let you go because everything's fine and you're doing great. And then I make a wrong decision and boom, he lets me know. Which one's that? That's an air situation. Learning to recognize when I'm in an air situation and when I'm in a light situation is one of the most critical things about Revelation. And it's not always the same. 
How many of you, when you decided which college to go to, were in a light situation and he didn't say anything? How many of you, when it came to choosing a college, was in an air situation? Wait a minute, that's the same decision. Why is it different? Well, for me, it was dangerous. For Naomi, it was not. So my frustration was what? What was my frustration? I don't want that answer. I don't want that. Why are you telling me that? What was her frustration? Why aren't you talking to me? I got to choose which school. So recognizing when you're in a light and when you're in an air situation. Let me give you an example. You tell me what situation she's in. Um, I was at a seminary once, and just as I was leaving that seminary, (coughs) one of my students, her parents were called as mission presidents to Japan. So she's an 18-year-old girl, and her parents are leaving to go to Japan for three years. Now, her choice is go with her parents. She's 18. She needs mom and dad. Go with mom and dad, live in Japan for three years, and maybe delay my education. Or start my education and live without mom and dad. That's a tough choice, right? So she does what we would all do, and she starts praying, and she prays, and she prays, and she prays, and she goes to the temple, and she prays, and she prays, and guess what she heard? Nothing. And she came to see me, and she said, Brother Dunford, I guess I don't understand prayer. And I patted her on the head and said, sweetheart, you're in, which one? You're in, you're in a light situation. Why is God not speaking? Because both decisions are fine. There is no dangerous situation here. If you choose to go to Japan, that will be fine. If you choose to stay here, that will be fine. He's waiting for you to decide. What do you want? Now, is it completely on the brother of Jared to solve this? Brother of Jared comes up with the idea, and then the Lord touches them. You're not without help, but you have to step forward. You have to take that first decision. You are not going to get help until you make that decision. So she decided. She thought about it a long time. She recognized that it was her choice, and both were fine. The danger was low. I'm not going to ruin my life if I go to Japan. I won't be directionless if I stay here in the United States. So she chose to stay. And it worked out. And the Lord helped her after she made a decision. See the difference? So recognize the difference between light and air. When you're in a light situation, your frustration is he's not speaking. And that's because both decisions, there's no danger here. So do you think it's possible, let's suppose I get called as a bishop and I have to release, I, 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 my Relief Society president moves. So I need a new Relief Society president. Could it be that the Lord says, call her It's very important that you call her. Sure. Could it be that the Lord says, 
Look at all the great women you have in your ward. Which one are you going to choose? And I need to recognize when it's an heir. Ooh, I need to call her. And when it's a light. Hmm, who am I going to choose? Don't sit on the beach and wait for and waste four years when you're in a light situation. Build a barge. Move forward. But don't not build, drill a hole in the bottom of your boat when the instructions tell you to because you're in an air situation. Do you see those rules? <sighs> do we have time to go do the Doctrine and Covenants ones? We don't. We'll save those for another day. I just don't think we're going to be able to get to them and still cover all that we want to cover. So brief summary. We learned from the Doctrine and Covenants some, a great lesson from Martin Harris and, uh, and Oliver Cowdery. Oliver Cowdery learns a lesson trying to translate the, the, the gold plates. What's the lesson? I mean, we could almost say it in terms of these. What's the lesson? Which one, which, which situation was Oliver Cowdery in when he was translating the gold plates? He's, he, he's here. What mistake does he make? What mistake does Oliver Cowdery make try, trying to translate the gold plates? You thought you would just sit back and I would guide your life. You took no thought save it was to ask me. In other words, step into the river. Revelation only comes when you take the step, when you do your part. Failing to do your part is going to limit revelation. And if revelation isn't coming, I wish Oliver Cowdery would have woken up and said, wait, revelation's not flowing. I'm not doing something that I should do. Joseph, what do I need to do? And I'll do it. Another lesson from church history is Martin Harris. Martin Harris was this. He just was one of those that would stand up in fast and testimony meeting and share everything. So the Lord told them, I'm going to give you revelation. Be willing to testify. Be willing to testify of truth, but don't share too much. And sometimes we take sacred experiences and what do we do with sacred experiences? We blurb them out to everyone. I have done that. I have told stories in my institute class, and he has said, you should not have told that story to that group. I shared too much. But other times, we're a little reluctant. Well, I don't want to tell a sacred story, even though it would inspire them. So there's a balance between being willing to share appropriately when he's prompting me to do so. Someone's life is struggling, and I know that Jesus would help, and I'm afraid to talk to them about the gospel, even though they're asking for help, and the situation is right. You're sharing too little. But then I have a sacred experience that was just for me, and I go to fast and testimony meeting, and I tell the whole world about my sacred experience. I'm sharing too much. There is a balance between don't share too little and don't share too much. Be willing to testify. 
He's giving you sacred experiences. And once in a while, that sacred experience is needed by someone else. Share your sacred experience with someone who needs it. When he prompts you and tells you that it's appropriate, don't be afraid. And I think we've all, have you ever had the prompting that I should share something and I just was nervous and I didn't? Have you ever felt like I should tell you about the gospel? I should tell you about the Book of Mormon? And I don't. I've broken this rule. But have you ever shared something and you felt the Holy Ghost say, you shouldn't have shared that. That was just for you. That was private and that was sacred and that was just for you and they weren't ready to receive it. Oh, let's talk about Heavenly Father being on an earth before he was Heavenly Father. Um, They were not ready for that doctrine. That is not what you should have taught them. You went too far. So there's a balance between don't share too little, be willing to share when he prompts me to share, but don't share too much. And he'll help you. He'll help you know what that balance is. All right, some rules of revelation. I bear you my testimony that there is a part I have to play. And if I want revelation, I need to do my part. It would be unfair to expect God to always do his part and not do my part. And if my part is to get off the beach and start moving, then do my part. If my part is to share, then do my part. If my part is to go all the, to, to go all the way I can with the instructions that I have and then I'll get more, then do your part. Do which part is yours, and then the Lord will do which part is his. But if you find that prayers are not being answered, that direction is not coming, it most likely is that there's something you're not doing. Figure out what that is. Are you in an air situ- a light situation and are choosing not to do your part? Are you sitting on the beach and waiting for him to tell you what to do? Should I walk into Walmart and ask Heavenly Father which toothpaste to buy? Absolutely not. How long will I stand there in the toothpaste aisle? All day. That is an unrealistic expectation of revelation. How about asking Heavenly Father who to marry? Who should I marry, Heavenly Father? Is that, how long am I going to wait on that one? A long time. Which part is mine, which part is his. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.